Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have an unbelievable, amazing human being on the show today. You guys are going to be blown away. So I have Jason Redman on with me today. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Jason on. Jason, welcome to the show. Ken, thanks for having me on. Honored to be here. Uh, I'm honored that you're here, man. I know you're a busy guy. I am. Um, what, you, what you've accomplished in life is absolutely amazing to me. I started this show about three years ago, and it was to help people get unstuck, have a breakthrough in life. And I know you've had a couple of those. So, uh, so I, I'm, I'm excited to hear your story. Why, why don't we start with where you were um, born and raised? So I'm an, I'm an Ohio native, go Bucks, And uh, yeah, that's, that's where I am right now, dude. Oh, no kidding. Okay. I did not know that. So I was born in a little town called Coshocton, which is right by Zanesville, if you know it. I, I, I'm in Marion. So yeah. I oh mean, yeah. Not yeah. too far away. Wow. Yeah. So, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, born, born, and we didn't stay there too long. Uh, my my parents unfortunately split up, and we moved away. Um, my my dad stayed up there for a while, and then my mom ended up, you know, and I just started bouncing around all over the place between the two of them. But uh, I've always stayed true to my Ohio roots. I've always stayed true to my uh, my Buckeyes. Yeah, the Browns. Uh, <laughs> I was a little ticked off when they left when uh, Bill Belichick came in. I. I I still say that the old Browns should have been the Patriots because Dude. Belichick was building that system within the Browns when they decided to sell and send them to, to Baltimore. I, so, I think this is where you and I are going to become mortal enemies. Oh, well, they are. Uh, what, what? Oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, Dude, my God. You're. Hey, but I, I'll give you a little slack because, you know, when the Browns left, I can understand you probably went to the Steelers then or when you, always- you know, I, I was, I was seven years old, man. And it was during Terry Bradshaw and Lynn Swan days. And, and I don't know, man, I just, I just, I'm like, we got the Browns or we've got the bungles and, and, and I'm like, you know, we also have the Steelers over here. So yeah. Yeah, which was closer to you than the Browns were. I, well, I yeah, but I was. Uh, I, it's you know, it's how you're raised. So my dad was a Browns fan. My my grandmother. So those games yeah. were on. And yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, I've got nobody left in Ohio. Just uh, just wow. stay true to uh, my roots. Yeah, yeah. So you you bounced around, and and I mean, were you still in Ohio or or other states or? As a kid, yeah, I, I bounced around as a kid. So like I said, my parents split up and I ended up going back and forth between them. Okay. I lived in uh, uh, North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, uh, Georgia, uh, wow. and Florida and the Virgin Islands as I was growing up. Um, wow. 
And then, you know, kind of funny, I joined the Navy when I was 17, still in high school. Uh, the Navy took me to uh, boot camp in Florida, and then I went to Virginia Beach uh, for my first uh, training school. And then after that, headed out to California for SEAL training and then came back to Virginia Beach. And I have been in Virginia Beach. Uh, I was in Virginia Beach my entire career and ended up retiring here in southeastern Virginia. Wow. So you did you uh, like so did you go to Great Lakes as, as for boot camp or no, I went to Orlando. So uh, <laughs> they did not. Yeah, they the, Orlando was still running its boot camp, I think, until about 95. And I went through boot camp in 93. Wow. So wow. my, my nephew's actually in the Navy right now and in Virginia beach. So, yeah. So uh, my, my brother's, my brother's son, he followed in my brother's footsteps. Except nice. for he's doing the, I don't know what the, what it's called. It's a, like a, they do field medic stuff or something. I don't, I don't know what it's called. I forget the title, but yeah. Uh, is he going to be working with the Marines? <sighs> Probably a, uh, uh, they call him an FMF corpsman. So, uh, corpsman, that's yeah. it. Yeah. He's yeah. a corpsman. And if he's doing the field medical stuff, he'll end up working with uh, Marines or even special operations because they get specialized training to be able to work with our ground yeah. units. Yeah. That's, it's, it's pretty cool. So, so you, uh, so you were, you went into the Navy. What, so here you are bouncing around as a kid and, and I get that. I come from a divorced home. What, in, what, what was the thought of going into the Navy? Did you know you wanted to be a SEAL? I did. Absolutely. Um, wow. From a young age. I mean, I grew up in a, a military family. My dad wasn't in the military when I was young, but um, all my family members had served. My, my both grandparents had served in World War II. Um, my great uncle served in World War II and actually was killed. He was shot down in the Pacific. He was a pilot. Wow. Um, my, uh, just from a young age, I always wanted to go in the military. And my dad had been a, um, he was airborne, an airborne instructor and a rigger. And uh, the SEALs all the way up, including me, all the way up until the uh, late 90s went through U.S. Army Airborne School. So my dad had met SEALs going through airborne school. And when I was about 14 and I was talking about what I wanted to do in the military, he said, you should check out the SEALs. You'd love them. You're a great swimmer. They blow stuff up. You know, they're, <laughs> they're some of the best of the best. And I started doing some research. There wasn't a whole lot of information. You know, the internet really yeah. didn't exist back then. Yeah. Um, but what the little bit that I could find, I mean, everybody said, hey, these guys are the toughest of the tough, which is interesting because that was not, I wasn't this hard kid that went around looking for fights and, you know, the star of my football team or anything like that. Um, <laughs> I was pretty much the, the 95 pound weakling. Um, <laughs> but something in me said, that's what I want to do. And at the age of 14, I told my dad, that's what I'm going to go do. And uh, a lot of people doubted me, uh, including the Navy recruiter who I went into the recruiting office when I was 15 for the first time and said, Hey, in a couple of years, I want to join. And the recruiter consistently threw me out of the office. Uh, wow. yeah, it would not support me in any way whatsoever. Um, so that's kind of a funny story and an interesting story. I mean, that's in my uh, book, the Trident, but I, I stayed true. 
um, and ended up joining the Navy, obviously, and going down that path. Wow. So, so you, um, I mean, the Navy SEALs are, I mean, they're the elite of the elite. I mean, it, it, it you guys are, are on a, on a completely different level. And, and I, I, I've heard that it's, it's a very tiny percentage that actually get through and become a seal. Yes. Uh, we have about an 80% attrition rate and that's if you make it to start training, which is called buds, basic underwater demolition seal training. And even from there, just to get a slot, um, it's astronomical. As a matter of fact, <laughs> It's so hard now. Um, I don't even know if I would get a slot now if I took myself back to when, you know, I was a young 17, 18 year old kid trying to buy for a slot. It's super competitive. We have so many young men in this country uh, that want to be SEALs um, that there now is almost like a draft is what happens. So these young kids have to earn a certain score, both physically uh, they're, they're psychologically screened and then they're screened for the testing. And we have a pretty high score they have to get. You have to, a lot of people don't know, you have to be pretty smart to be a SEAL. Yeah. And then all these things get ranked against all the other people that want to be a SEAL. There's a draft and they pick the top candidates that then earn a slot to go to SEAL training. And then from once you get there, you have an 80%, there's an, you know, 80% of the kids that start don't make it through. Um, wow. so and it, it has stayed consistent throughout uh, time. Um, I, you know, so my class started with 114 and we grad or 148 and we graduated 19 originals. Jeez. So, so uh, I, you know, there's not, it's not like the, the Navy, you know, videos, this, the stuff that goes on in seal training and puts it out on you on YouTube. So, you know, I mean, obviously there's movies, there's, you know, but what are, what are some of the things I know there's hell week. I, I there's, there's, there's hell week. What are some of the things that you went through um, doing this? I mean, before you even got, got accepted, I mean, what were some of the things you went through where you were like, I'm not going to make it this because we, uh, there's no way you can go through all that and not have doubt. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everybody's got doubts. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's funny. I'll meet some seals who maybe have a little bigger ego than others. And I've heard guys like that say, I never once thought about quitting and I, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't believe that for a second. Um, yeah. SEAL training is designed to be as hard as possible. It's designed to push you outside your comfort zone as far as possible. And, and everybody has a weakness. Everybody, you know, some people are naturally great runners. Some people are tremendously strong. Some people can endure the cold longer than others. Uh, SEAL training will push everybody into their weak zone. And it's in that zone that we start to question ourselves. And even before, I mean, I remember, I mean, look at me, I'm not, um, I am not a big guy. I'm, I'm five, eight, uh, you know, five, seven. And, uh, when I went through seal training, I was 135 pounds. I was probably one of the smallest guys in the class. Um, but it, it, it's up here, it's here and it's here that gets you through training. Um, but even I, sometimes I doubts. I remember when we did the initial screening test, you know, here I was, you know, the smallest guy in the screening test. And I remember there's a great big buff dude. And, um, I remember looking at that guy and I was like, dude, 
how am I going to make it through with guys <laughs> like this? Right. Um, but you, I came to learn as a man, and oftentimes it's some of those bigger guys who are some of the first to quit. Uh, it's kind of interesting how it works that way, but yeah, there's plenty of times, uh, I talk about in my, my second book overcome, uh, I give you full I, screen. yeah. And my second book overcome, it's interesting. My first book, I don't talk about seal training at all. I actually talk about ranger school. I went through ranger school also. Uh, wow. and there's a reason why that story happened, but um, in, in overcome, I do talk about some parts of seal training specifically during hell week in a moment where I thought about quitting. Um, but I realized, and I think everybody in life, we're all going to have those moments. Yeah. And, uh, and I realized in that moment where I thought about quitting that if I quit, uh, it didn't get me to where I want to go. As a matter of fact, it guaranteed failure. Like you can't control all the external factors that are out there. Sometimes, you know, our hopes and dreams, the places where we want to go, sometimes external factors come along and stop us from achieving those hopes and dreams. It just happens. Unfortunately, life unfolds that way. But yeah. if you quit, you guarantee it won't happen. And I realized that that night as I, for a few moments, contemplated quitting that, you know, I can't control the future. Um, so I may or may not make it all the way through training. But if I quit, I guarantee I won't. Is that, is that, you know, I heard somebody not long ago say, well, some people need to know when to quit. <laughs> and I was like, it didn't register with me. Cause I don't, I can't relate to that mindset. I'm not anywhere near Navy SEAL mindset, but is there a point though? Cause I know you're doing different things now and consulting and stuff. Right. But, but is there a point where you, you're like, yeah, there is a time when you should, you should quit. Yeah. And that is a, that's a really tough concept. And when I was younger, I used to think never, um, never quit. And, and I, I don't know if I necessarily want to call it quitting because quitting in my mind is you are making a rash decision, um, that you haven't fully thought through. And oftentimes quitting is driven by emotion. Yeah. But there comes times, um, that, if if you have been doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, and even if you've tried to change and do it in different ways, uh, but you're still not achieving what you need to do. I actually call this, this is something I talk about in coaching. I talk about it in, in Overcome, quitting versus falling back. So in the military, if we're going after an objective, let's say we're trying to take down a house that has terrorists in it. Yeah. And we go to take down this house and a huge firefight ensues. And we have multiple guys that are wounded and we pull these wounded guys back. And now we keep trying to go in and take down this house, but we just keep losing guys. And now we're running out of ammo and, and it's just a mess. Well, we could continue trying to get in there and get them, but at what cost? I mean, right. you know, we may lose all our people and then what did we accomplish? So we can, you know, we can stand there and beat our chest and say, hey, we didn't quit. Well, yeah, but you didn't accomplish anything. You, right. you lost everything in the process. Yeah. Um, so in this situation, we talk about falling back. This is where we pull back to a location that we can be safer. And I talk about it's your opportunity to, um, to, to relax, reassess, regroup and reattack the four R's. 
And, and this is critically important because in that situation, you may realize that, hey, this isn't worth it. So we may need to change how we're doing this, or we may need to go in a totally different direction. I mean, maybe the answer is we call in an airstrike and just blow this house up and we're no longer doing how we were going to do it before. And I think life is no different. I encountered this running my nonprofit. We reached a point where um, we had made some pivots and we were trying to drive it down a new road, but it was um, there were a lot of issues. The, the funding was not coming in and keeping up with some of the newer programs we had launched. Um, there was kind of a shift in the nonprofit space towards mental health and, and, uh, and, um, and traumatic brain injuries. Uh, and we, we weren't doing those things. And I wanted to tell myself, oh, we're never going to quit. We're never going to quit. We're going to keep driving forward. But it didn't make uh, business sense. And I had a long talk with my board and my chairman of the board. And that was a really hard decision, but it was the right decision. Yeah. Um, I made the analogy in the book, and, and I'll close this topic with this. I made the analogy in the book. So often in life, we're, we're like flying along in an airplane. And... Um, and, and a lot of companies do this. And our company was in this same situation. I had all these warning lights going off, all these alarms and, and yeah. the plane was breaking and we were in danger of crashing. And, uh, you know, what do you do? Do you just say, I'm not going to quit and you pray for a miracle that you're able to fix something? Or do you make the right decision and land so that you can take care of everybody on board? And then, you know, you, you, yeah. you have to pick a new path. That airplane, unfortunately, uh, is shot. And I watched so many people with the no quit mentality that, the, oh, I'll never quit that crash that plane and take everybody with them. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's where it's very, it's critically important to look at that quit quitting versus falling back. And, and maybe it, it's time to take a new direction. Re reassess. Just reassess I mean, and reattack where we're, where we're going. It's, it's, it's losing the battle, not the war mentality. Right? Exactly. And so many people will lose the battle and the war with a, yeah. you know, never quit mentality. Yeah. And, and there are times, obviously, if you're still in the fight that, you know, you should have a never quit mentality, but yeah. you know, if, if you're losing people, resources, you know, your sanity, whatever it is, uh, at, at some point it, you have to look at, you know, does this make sense or are we just running to our death so uh, you know I, I mean again all of the training that you you know what is the saying about if you're going to chop down a tree spend more time sharpening the axe than then you know so the training that you went through in and and hell are, are you allowed to talk about any of that <laughs> i don't yeah. even know a little bit some yeah so, so is it is it true that you go like an entire week without sleep? Yeah, that's hell week. Um, like no and, sleeping at all, zero. Uh, you get maybe if you're lucky, um, two to three hours, and it's all and it's not it's a it's micro sleep. So what'll happen is you'll finish an evolution, and the instructors let you sleep for. 30 minutes under your boat or it, it, the, the, one of the big things in seal training is it pays to be a winner. So uh, if your boat crew wins, you may be rewarded with five or 10 minutes of sleep. Um, but it, it's a little bit of a, um, 
I don't know, a misnomer because your, your body is so messed up from the lack of sleep. Um, like I once heard, and I don't know if this is true or not. I once heard that, that doing that to your body, the level of physical stress combined with the lack of sleep, like probably takes years off your life. Um, that's how brutal it is on you. And, and when you sleep for like five or 10 minutes, you feel horrible because your body is finally like, oh my God, you know, you probably go into instant REM sleep and then suddenly you're getting woken back up with screaming and you're sprayed down or go run and hit the cold ocean or, wow. so it's, it's pretty brutal. And, uh, that hell week has the highest attrition of all the, so you have an 80% attrition rate during all the buds. Well, hell week alone has about an 80% attrition rate. It's the biggest weeding out factor of seal training. And, and, and so you have, but you have a team during hell week, right? There's right. You do. You're in a boat, you're you're in a boat crew. So seven guys are in a boat crew, but it, it, it changes frequently. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, cause guys, yeah. guys quit and drove. So, you know, you can't get wow. too attached to someone. And that's an interesting thing. It's an interesting concept that I talk to a lot of younger guys going to training. They'll get taught. I had a good friend, um, that I went through, um, um, boot camp with, and we went through our a school together and he was older than me. He was 10 years older. Um, and he was like a big brother to me. And I really looked up to him and we trained together. Well, we weren't in the same boat cruise during Hell Week, and he came to me on Tuesday of Hell Week and was like, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> I'm about over all the reindeer games. And I could tell in that moment he had made up his mind. Uh, and I was like, dude, I need to stay away from him. Because when people quit, uh, it, it's no different than a crisis. You know, a, a victim crisis mentality spreads like a virus. Yep. And no different with quitting, you know, guys don't want to quit alone. So they want to get people to quit with them and they will, they'll pull multiple people with them when they finally decide to quit. So I was like, I got to stay away from this guy. And sure yeah. enough, about, I don't know, four or five hours later, he quit. Well, I'm, I'm Grant Cardone's a buddy of mine and he, he talks about, um, and I'm sure this is exactly what you're talking about. He's like, when you have somebody quit on your team, they quit months before they actually quit. <clears throat> and so that brings, that brings the whole freak. I had it happen. I had it happen in my company. Some, uh, uh, some girls that worked for me and it, I didn't even know it was going on, dude. So like, it's crazy. I, I, um, so I've been working on new, I'm getting ready to launch new online courses. The first one actually is going to go live here shortly. It's called 72 hours to peak performance. But the next one that's going to be released is called how to build an overcome mindset. And, and it's, a, it, there are three rules to building an overcome mindset. Coincidentally, they're the three rules to, that for you to make it through seal training. Rule number one, don't quit. Don't physically quit. Um, right. Don't ring that bell. But rule number two, you, you nailed it, Ken, don't mentally quit. Because when we mentally quit, we are on the road to physically quitting. So, uh, and, and everybody does it. In our mind, we start to think about quitting. And we start to not put our full effort into what we're doing. We're already starting to think about, we're planning life after we quit. But we haven't yeah. fully committed to it yet. We haven't, we haven't allowed ourselves to get to that point. But what we're doing is we're starting to entertain the idea, what if? What if I quit? What's that going to look like? You know, what am I going to do? What things can I put in place so that I'm 
ready to quit. And most people do that. Most people are mentally quitting. That's why I tell people don't mentally quit. Don't allow yourself to do it because you are moving down the road of uh, physically quitting. There, there's a buddy of mine. He, he was a quarterback with the Oilers, the, the, um, in, in Houston. And, and he said they cut a friend of mine and he tried to get me to quit and go to lunch. And that's the way it works though, man, because it the is. crabs in a bucket, right? They, they want to bring you back down to their, you know, come with me, stay down here. Yep. Absolutely. And man, it happens in seal training. It happens in life. I mean, you know, if you have somebody that's mentally quitting on your team, they're a virus. Yeah. And, uh, and I've, I've seen it happen um, in, in our company. We had an individual who uh, they were toxic and I didn't realize it till almost too late. And, uh, and then finally, you know, we had to get rid of them. So if you're around people like that, stay away from them, stay away yeah. from negative people like that. If you're a business owner, you have someone, you know, keep an eye out if they're mentally quitting it's most likely time to get rid of them. You know, if you can't fast. get them to course correct very quickly. Yeah. You got to get rid of them fast. It's been my experience. So, so, you know, I think that, look, you know, who you do you know, David Goggins? I don't know if you know him personally. Yeah, or not. I, I, I do. We're not real close. I, I, and anyway, I met him a couple of times. He was a West coast seal. I was an East coast seal. Um, is that, is so, that like a gang thing? Like you it guys, is, absolutely. Is it really? East, East is the best. West, those are a bunch of slackers. Uh, <laughs> that they're like JV. So no, I. They're really, there really has always been kind of a rivalry. And there was a joke uh, prior to 9-11, There was kind of a big joke that we had the Hollywood seals and then you had the real seals <laughs> on the East Coast. But since since nine eleven, every seal team is super combat experienced. Yeah. Uh, I would say the level's the same, but you know, the smack talking's still there. So sure. I'll, I'll always say that East is the best. That's awesome, dude. So, so I, he says something in his book and I've heard him say it many times. I'm sure you're familiar with this, that, that when, when, when you, when you feel like you're ready to give up, like this is it, I'm done. I can't do any freaking more. He says you're, you've only done about 40% of what you're capable of. Is that true? And is that a SEAL thing? It is. I mean, that's something they teach you in SEAL training. It's the heart and soul of Hell Week. Hell Week is that um, you're, you're only tapping into about, on, on average, 10%. I, like, I love how Goggin put, Goggins puts it up to 40%. And, and, and I will say that guy, he is a, a freak of nature. Um, even, even on seal level, he's, you know, up here. I mean, the guy's insane. Um, but, uh, he is right. You have the ability to endure much more than you think you can. And, and it is our mind that typically is quitting before our body. We think it's our body. You think, oh, I can't take another step, but it is amazing. The mind can push the body to do some incredible things. Uh, and that's what Hell Week teaches you. And then later as you get through life, I mean, that's really being a SEAL. I tell people when I speak, um, yes, I have the ability to most likely endure discomfort longer than the average person. Um, but uh, the fundamentals of resiliency and leadership and building structure and discipline in your life, they're the same regardless of who you are. They're human traits and yeah. you can build them within yourself. 
And that's, you know, that's what Goggins talks about. I mean, that's everything I talk about in my books. I mean, that's how you build an overcome mindset. Wow. You know, um, I, I'm going to, you got to do, I'm, I'm a, I'm an Amazon influencer and I'm one of the handful of people that are allowed to go live directly on Amazon. So we got to do a separate interview on Amazon and sell the crap out of your books, man. <laughs> I would love that. Cause I, my new yeah. book uh, is getting ready to come out. I'm self-publishing the point man planner. Um, this is a mock-up. It's actually in a journal format. But uh, it's a whole new program that I developed uh, last year that I'm going live with. The new coaching programs are about to go live. But it, it's it's. I realized something last year. Um, you know, COVID was uh, a blessing and a curse for many people. I mean, even yeah. for me. I mean, here I was speaking on all these stages, and in the blink of an eye, all my events went away. Yeah. The good news, it gave me time to focus on stuff. And often I've talked about. Point men are leaders in the military. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Check that out. Jennifer Moran. Do you know Jen? No, but uh, her, she's, son, she's... Uh, her son, Austin Bain, walked across, yeah, from Florida to California for my nonprofit back when I was still running at Wounded Wear, Chasing the Sun. That's awesome. Yeah. She's, she's ta she just tagged Sherry. It, that's, so that's Sherry's son, I think. Yeah, yeah he's Sherry. a... He's a helicopter pilot now. He finished wow. that. Uh, he finished that journey. He did it with his dog. A beautiful, uh, uh, a beautiful uh, uh, shoot husky. Oh, and wow. uh, but him and one other veteran, Brian, they walked across the country and raised money for our organi organization. So it was great. But wow. the bottom line is, point men are leaders in the military. Yeah, And we rely on them to get us where we need to go, whether it's in training or whether it's in combat, but they do so much more than just navigate. And I realized like, you know, in a, in a really good point, man, is irreplaceable. Like you didn't never want to lose that person because right. they're so good at what they do, because not only they get you where you need to go, they keep you out of trouble. And they choose the most efficient routes and they look and they're always thinking ahead. I mean, they're, they're like master chess players on the, on the battlefield and in training. And I realized that if people live their life this way, I don't care who you are, you're going to be successful. And, and my new program called point man for life is all about that. How do you live your life by these four principles that I talk about? And this new book I'm releasing teaches you how to apply these principles in your life and then how to daily, weekly, and quarterly follow them, uh, to a plan to success. You know, I, um, I, my wife and I did, I've had Andy Frisilla on the show. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Andy or not, but he's, yeah. um, so he's a he's a badass man, and he he uh, he. At the end, I said, "You know, dude, I didn't even bring up seventy five hard. Do you know why?" And he goes, "Yeah, now you have to do it." And seventy five hard's this program he created. So my wife and I decided to do it. And dude, I, I I had I had Goggins' book in my my ears while I'm out. You know, I'm the this fat old man, and I'm like, all right, I, I'm not old, but but like I I I was definitely carrying some weight and i was like holy i mean he's yelling at you <laughs> like, it felt like he's yelling at you you can do it you you know and yeah. so uh, the mentality and and that that you have and you just said something you may have you said i may have the ability 
to endure more pain than most people or something to I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Pain, stress, discomfort. Right. Why? What, what is that? Do you think that's a, you're just wired differently? You have a, a an extra gene that <laughs> like, what is it? I, I, I do. I, I think, <laughs> I think everybody in life, when you're born and the way you're raised and by the time you're a young adult, uh, your ability to endure discomfort and, and deal with adversity is kind of set and you have a scale. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of things that play into that. Some is just pure genetics. I think, you know, for some you're born and you have a level that you're able to endure it more than others. And some is forged in how you were raised. Uh, you know, um, if you grew up, on a farm, a lot of people that grew up in farm or doing hard manual labor, their ability to endure discomfort and work through things is much uh, higher than yeah. someone who uh, never had to deal with hard manual labor or maybe, you know, hard sports or things like that. Yeah. So, uh, but I do think that the individuals that make it through SEAL training, it's a combination of the two, or it is, we've talked about it, it there's the no quit gene. Um, although I, I believe that's a little bit of a misnomer because, uh, even that I believe e everybody at some point has a breaking point. Um, although for some, it may be death. That's crazy, man. So what, what are some of the things? So, and how long were you, did you serve in the military? 21 years. Wow, dude. That's, that's, that's so incredible. <laughs> What are some of the challenges you faced when you were active duty? Or, or, and I don't know what you're allowed to talk about. And um, but what were some of the things that you faced that 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 you know that would break most people? Well, the biggest one uh, it comes out of the book, The Trident. And a lot of people who have never read that book are kind of surprised when they read it because. The biggest challenge that uh, I, I've ever encountered in my life, most people, most people think it's being severely wounded. Uh, in 2007, I was shot up by an enemy machine gun going after a high value Al Qaeda leader. I was hit eight times between my body and body armor. I took two rounds in the left elbow that uh, I thought in the moment shot my arm off. They almost amputated my arm. I took a round in the uh, face that just destroyed the right side of my face. It took off my nose. Um, it broke all the bones above my eye, it damaged my eye muscles, vaporized the orbital floor, shattered the head of my jaw, broke my jaw to my chin, blew out my right cheekbone. Um, oh my God. And, and it was four years and 40 surgeries to put me back together uh, through all that. And a lot of people assume, God, that must be the hardest thing you ever went through. And it wasn't. <laughs> The hardest thing I ever went through was I made uh, some mistakes as a young leader. Mm. Um, I was an enlisted SEAL. I had done very well. I became a, a well enough that I got selected to become a SEAL officer. And, um, and when I became a SEAL officer, I allowed ego and arrogance to get the better of me. And even though I knew, well, I lost my way being a good leader. Mm. And I was more focused on the rank on my collar. Hey, I'm a SEAL officer. And, uh, and it took me down this bad road, this bad road where I really, I was more focused on 
telling people what to do instead of setting the example myself. And mm. uh, I wanted my cake and eat it too. I wanted to be looked at as a great leader, but I wasn't always setting the example as a great leader. Wow. And all of that came to a head with a bad call on a mission in Afghanistan. And um, that almost ended up getting me kicked out of the SEAL teams. Uh, I had several people who said, kick him out. But instead, I had some good leaders who said, hey, this guy's got a lot of potential. We just need to humble him. Which wow. sent me, uh, which earned me my uh, ticket to U.S. Army Ranger School. I went to Ranger School, and it was exactly what I needed uh, to humble me and really to get an appreciation for what it is to be an effective leader. And it's one of the core things that I now teach when I coach or when I go to companies. Uh, I teach the three rules of leadership. Uh, and those three rules are leadership at its heart and soul. Everything about it is your ability to lead yourself. Rule number one is lead yourself. 70% yeah. of leadership is leading yourself. It's creating structure and discipline in your life. It's uh, having a positive attitude. It's leaning into you know growth and discomfort and doing things to get outside of your comfort zone. And you set the example. If you do that, uh, people will follow you if you give them a reason to, which leads itself into rule two, lead others. And leading others isn't it isn't about telling people what to do, uh, but it's much more about motivating and inspiring and giving them the right and left limits and, and the training and the resources and holding them accountable to accomplish those things. Right. And then rule number three is you got to lead always. You can't pick and choose when you're going to lead. Um, there's going to be, as a matter of fact, it's in the hardest times that you really have to step up and lead the most. And when I failed as a young leader, um, and, and the, the SEAL teams are a group that does not tolerate, um, failure very well. Um, we, we don't like it. And, and I did not do myself any favors cause I didn't handle it well either. So I had a lot of people who, um, gave me the cold shoulder and kind of ostracized me. And, and I had young, uh, other young SEALs who I should be leading who were saying, I don't want that guy as my officer. And, wow. uh, and, oh yeah. So to be ostracized from the community that you grew up in, that you had done everything to be a part of was the hardest thing that I ever went through. I, I was actually, I thought about killing myself at one point and uh, tell that story in the trial, wow. but the bottom line is uh, I realized once again, and I thought about quitting. I thought about quitting and leaving the military. But once again, no different than that moment on that platform in, in Hell Week, I realized if I quit, I guaranteed failure. I couldn't change the external factors. And I began to realize um, there were some guys, and even to this day, if you go to the SEAL teams, there are some guys who, who hate my guts because I made those mistakes. Wow. And even though I talk about it all the time, They'll say, oh, I hate Jason Redmond because he messed up. He made that bad call on that mission in Afghanistan or whatever. Um, but that's life too. You're always going to have haters. You're always going to have people who disagree with you. But what I focused on was rule number one. I'm going to lead myself as well as I possibly can. And slowly I earned back the trust and credibility of my teammates uh, to get back to a position where I was leading and making good decisions and, and they believed in me and they said, wow, you know, this guy's doing a great job. Uh, by the time I headed to Iraq for my second combat deployment, I was with one of the best um, groups I've ever had the honor to work with. And, uh, and we had an amazingly successful combat deployment in Iraq. And uh, all the way leading up to that 
final mission, you know, one week before going home where I got all shot up in that ambush. But the interesting thing about it, that journey of failing as a young leader, of having to redeem myself, having to build back my credibility and reputation over years, set me up for success for these severe injuries. And that's why I tell people, um, I, I talk about this in my TED talk, you know, so often in life, we hit these massive, what I call life ambushes, these massive life ambushes. And I've been through a real ambush. So I felt bullets and bombs hitting my body, but a life ambush, you feel the bullets and bombs of life hitting you. And yeah. it's equally as painful and as stressful. And so often when we hit these moments, we think to ourselves, oh my God, it is the end. Like I'm done. But so often, and it may be, it may be the end of that part of your life. Excuse me. But so often it becomes a new beginning. And if you're willing to lean into it, if you're willing to grind forward, if you're willing to just not quit and realize maybe I need to fall back and, and reassess and, and, you know, before I re-engage and re-attack, it may be a yeah. new path. And that's happened to me on several times with life ambushes. And that's what I did out of that leadership failure. So, so the Trident is everything about that journey. It is a story of failure. It's a story of redemption. Uh, there's some combat. It's a love story because it follows the journey of my wife and I from when we met all the way through all these crazy hurdles. Uh, were, you, were, you, were you married during the ambush? Yeah, absolutely. Married with three children. I'll bet, I'll bet they were freaking out. Yeah, it's... Uh, but my wife's incredible. I call her the long-haired admiral and a big shout out to all the military spouses that are out there. Um, it is interesting, you know, my the long haired admiral. Yeah. LHA. <laughs> that is her name. Long haired admiral. She has earned that title, man. She is a four star. Um, so, uh, awesome. and, and that's part of what I teach also. Now I, I talk about, you know, something I call the Pentagon of peak performance and the fourth level of the Pentagon is social leadership. How do we build the rings of influence around us? And surrounding yourself with positive people who are going to support you when you're going through hard times makes all the difference. My wife was one of those people, man. She was a rock. And uh, so it was great to really show who she was. And it's funny when people read the book, there are so many that are like, your story is amazing, but I want to meet your wife. <laughs> Rightfully so. Right, right. So do, so do I now. Now I want to, I'm actually, so I'm, I'm, your books are all going in my Amazon store, by the way. So I'm going to put them in there. So, and, and dude, so, you know, I've been, I've been through, you know, I, I'm, I'm a recovered alcoholic with almost 19 years sober now and, and by the grace of God, but I, you know, I, I can remember thinking at one point, like I was losing everything everything and and everything i had done right that worked so well for so many years just was like a ball rolling off the table it was almost like there was god was like nope no more you're, you're you got a new life coming and and so i i do think that a lot of people give up on life and they lose hope in that and when when those moments that you're talking about the ambushes or and it may not be as dramatic as an ambush. It may just be a slippery slope that takes a long time and, and they never live their dreams. How do you inspire people who are stuck to get unstuck and start pursuing their dreams? Like live your life. It's uh, First off, I tell people it's never too late. I don't care 
where you are in your life. It's never too late. There, there are, it's never too late to start over. Now understand that the, 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 the dream that you may had may not be achievable right now just because of where you are in your life. But, it, but it's never too late to move forward and find a new dream based on your values and your mission. And this is one of the things that I talk about in the Point Man Planner. There's so many people that they don't really know who they are. Or if I was to say, hey, what are your values? They'll tell me these cliche things that society says are values, but they don't really believe in them. They're just saying them because it's like the politically correct thing to say. Um, yeah. you have to truly understand what your values are in this life and your mission or purpose should be built upon the foundations of those values. That's what my point man planner, that's one of the things it teaches. It's part of the four principles of being a point man for life. And I just truly believe that it's never too late. We're going to have life ambushes that come along. We're going to have things that hit us that, um, that, that will knock us off course. And sometimes we'll absolutely end the path that we were on. And you're, you're absolutely right, Ken. There are those moments. I've felt them in my life. I mean, um, I've been through some major ambushes. I went through a vicious uh, business ambush, a vicious lawsuit that I got accused of some pretty egregious things that I did not do. But, you know, unfortunately, in this day and age, you know, it's guilty until proven innocent. And, uh, and you know, we, we had to deal with that. I mean, it was super hard. But I focused on moving forward. I focused on making a difference. I focused on, I ignored the, the haters and the naysayers and said, hey man, this is who I am. These are my values and this is my mission and I'm going to keep driving forward. So that's what I'd tell people. I have a whole um, analogy that when, when you're in an ambush and when you feel those times, you're stuck in a specific moment in time. In, in, in ambush and military analogy, we call that specific point in time the X. The X is where we want to place uh, the enemy. The X is where you are if you're in an ambush. It's where the enemy wants to place you. Well, when life ambushes occur, the X is the point of adversity. It's the point of crisis. It's the point of the catastrophic events that are happening in your life. And what happens when we're on the X we have this natural tendency um, to do several things. We have a tendency to look back and say, well, I want back the life I had um, and wasted time because we can never go back and shape the past. All we can do is affect the present and shape our future. We have a tendency to look forward and say, well, this is where I should have been. This was going to be my best year ever, but then this happened. So we're like, I want that. I want what our goals were going to be. And then the most common is we look for someone or something to blame. And, uh, but no matter what, all those things achieve the same result. We're stuck on the X and, yeah. and, and overcome. That is the foundation of this book. And the slogan I tell everyone is you've got to get off the X, whether it's the X in your mind, whether it's a physical X, whether um, we are drowning ourselves with self-medication, alcohol, drugs, risky behavior. Maybe you're unhappy in your marriage, so you're having a side affair. You're on the X. These, yeah. these are all just things to not deal with the problem and to get off the X. And I teach wow. something called the REACT methodology uh, to get off the X and drive forward um, because the longer you sit on it, the harder it is to get up. It's like quicksand and the more it will pull you down. So one of the great things about being a point man for life, that's actually the fourth principle, an overcome mindset to get off the X as quickly as possible. 
it doesn't matter what crisis comes along if you already have a proactive mindset knowing crisis are out there life ambushes are out there bad things are going to happen to good people good plans are going to get shredded apart if you already have a mindset to get off the X, it doesn't matter what the crisis is. Now, that timeline may be different. If you suddenly lose a child, which I define as probably one of the biggest life ambushes people can go through, mm. that's going to take time. But if you already have a mindset of, I'm going to get off the X, I know that I'm hurting, this is painful, um, but I'm not going to sit here forever. My child wouldn't want that. And, and really some of the best people I've found for getting off the X, they turn those the end moments into new beginnings. You know, I've seen people that have lost a child and they've turned it into a whole new mission. Uh, somebody that's lost a child to cancer, now they run a nonprofit to help others who have lost children to cancer. That's become their, both the legacy for the child they lost and to um, motivate and inspire and help others. So that, that's what I tell people, get off that X and it's never too late. And, and it's not, you know, there's, um, so coming from you, it's not just a bunch of fluff BS. <laughs> I mean, you, you've, uh, dude, you've, you've been through it, man. I mean, I, I, everything I teach, uh, I, everything I teach is what I had to use to deal with what I've gone through. And even myself, yeah. I'm in my fourth life ambush. I'm, I'm going through some health challenges right now. Wow. And it's been brutal. Um, and uh, the byproduct of one of the, the um, I got diagnosed with pernicious anemia and it took him a while to diagnose it. Well, one of the byproducts was extreme anxiety. I was having massive panic attacks. Um, so there were physical symptoms that then I would have massive panic attacks and anxiety. I convinced myself I was dying. Um, and I've never had an issue. I mean, here I am, I've kicked down doors to enemy targets. I've never had a problem with anxiety and it, it was brutal. Um, but I had, I'm having to use my own tools, uh, to keep myself on course and to keep reminding myself, you know, get off the X, drive forward, drive forward. So, uh, you know, I don't just teach them. I use them in my own life. I mean, I'm, I follow my own principles and my point man planner, I share my values. I share what my mission statement is. Um, so that hopefully it'll motivate others. I, everybody should have a mission statement. It, it guides us. It is a, it is our light in the darkness, man. When the storms come, it was, yeah. it's what helps us navigate out of that darkness. And you have a mission statement. Yeah. And you have a, a, a mission. You have a, a bigger purpose than, than just taking care of Jason Redmond. I do. I mean, I, I look at, you know, I mean, I'm a man of faith. I, I believe God gave me a second chance. Um, I, there are a lot of people and, and doctors who said you should not have survived that ambush you were in from the amount of blood I lost and all these different things. Um, wow. Heck, the, the, the leadership failure that I had, I mean, there's a lot of SEALs that have messed up that have been kicked out. Um, that path could have been totally different. So these lessons that I've learned, even this most recent health failure, I mean, health crisis, they're lessons that I can share with others. And I believe God is putting these things in my path because he believes in me. Although sometimes I'm like, Lord, you don't have to prove I'm such a badass anymore. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm good, man. I, you know, I, I, I feel like I've got good lessons. I but, literally uh, typed that in an email to somebody last night. I said, you know, God, the old saying is God will never give you more than you can handle. 
and I put in parentheses, I just wish he didn't have so much faith in me at times. Yeah, I feel right? you. I feel you. Right? So, so yeah, I mean, that's the thing, dude, is I, I think that, and I, I always ask this question. I always, two questions. And, and the first one I want to ask you, um, I'm very curious about what your answer is because I know I've had a, a tough life, not as tough as yours, but I've had a tough life. And I, 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 I see, sometimes I lack empathy. <laughs> if that, if that makes any sense, like, I, like, I'm like, I, I hear you whining, but like, what are you doing to change it? Like, you know, what actions are you taking? And, and so what do you think keeps people stuck in life from, from experiencing financial success and real joy and freedom in life? I mean, most of the time it's them. We, we create prisons in our own mind and, and so many people chain themselves to the X. Um, and, and there's so many lies we tell ourselves, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm the right race. I'm the wrong race, creed, color, born in the wrong place, whatever those things are. Um, and all of it goes back to, you know, we create that X, we chain ourselves to that X. Um, but I, I, I actually am, I don't know, God did give me some empathy. I mean, I, I won't lie. Sometimes I, I listen to people and I say, okay, come on. But it doesn't matter because you have to meet people where they are. And one of the yeah. things that I've come to realize is, you know, somebody that brings a problem to you um, that is struggling, they're struggling. Everyone lives in their own personal hell. And that's what we need to recognize. So even though my version of hell is different than this per person's version of hell, it should not lessen their version of hell. Um, and I should not make fun and degrade their version of hell. Instead, right. I want to help them. I want to help them get off the X. I mean, if you come to me for coaching, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to drill down into the issues. And, and oftentimes we tell ourselves lies. Uh, yeah. I, I see this a lot. The lies we tell ourselves that keep us on the X or the lies we tell ourselves that, you know, these things are important to me. You know, I mean, a lot of people when I do my initial coaching assessment will say, hey, these are the things that are most important to me, family and fitness. I'll just use those as two examples. Right. Yet, <laughs> they don't do anything to invest in their family and they're grossly out of shape. And I'm like, you're lying to yourself. Yeah. You know, you, you may want these to be values, but they're not right now. You know, your values are making money. Your values are, you know, in a different location. So I think that's where I come from. Um, I don't try and compare someone else based off the experiences that I've been through. Um, my experiences are unique to me. The hell that I've been through is my hell. Uh, right. And the hell that somebody else has been through is their hell. It's their ex. I just want to help them get off of it. This, this guy is a friend of mine, Joachim. Um, he actually lives in hell in Norway. It's the oh, place. no kidding. That's funny. Yeah. I was like, wow, that's an odd thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. I was talking, I was talking one day on a live stream about you know, all these online terrorists that I get my, my identity stolen like five times a day. I get these messages and I'm like, you know what? All you idiot terrorists that are doing this crap can all go to hell. And he commented, he said, no, we don't want them here. <laughs> That's funny. Where, where is hell? It's in Norway. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? 
<laughs> Who knew? Joaquin, I guess. But so, so there, okay. So there was this moment when, and and again, I can't compare it to any of the moments that you've been through. But I had, I had just opened my first office with my wife, and and had a few employees. They were all getting paid. We weren't. This dude that worked for me, way bigger than me, walks into my office and says, there's a guy looking in the windows of your SUV out in the parking lot. And I'm like, bro, you're way bigger than I am. Go tell him to get the hell out of here. Why are you telling me? And he's like, well, he's got it blocked with a tow truck. I was like, oh, shit. They, they, were, they were repoing my car. Worst day, one of the worst days of my life. And it was all the humiliation in front of my employees and, 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 I remember thinking, what's the point of going on? Like there, this, this is ridiculous. Like I can't, I'm, I'm X old and I can't figure this shit out and, and pardon my language, but I, I was really like, you know what? And, and, um, I eventually got through that obviously, but what do you say to the person? Because with COVID suicide went up way up, right? What do you say to someone who's barely hanging on right now? They feel like they've tried everything. They don't know what else to do and they don't know which way is up. What do you say to that person to get them through to the next moment? You know, suicide such a hard thing. I, and I disagree with it. I disagree at both on my belief, my face side. And, and the other thing yeah. I've, suicide one i thought about killing myself at one point um, yeah and i'll tell you what stopped me i was sitting in my room in afghanistan after i had made those mistakes and i had just come back from meeting with my commanding officer and having multiple peers in that meeting say kick him out and take his trident and it was probably the lowest point i've ever felt in my life i was basically told you don't measure up you don't deserve to wear the seal emblem anymore Wow. And I, and I went back to my room and, you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in the war zone. We have weapons all the time. And I pulled out my pistol and I sat down in my chair and I put my pistol in my mouth and I was going to blow my brains out um, because I told myself there's no place left to go. This is the end. And, and right as I was about to do that, I looked across the room and on the desk was a picture of my wife and my three kids. And I was like, what are you doing? Wow. You know, what are you doing? Um, and I got up and I went and got help. I went and saw the special operations chaplain. Um, th that moment forward, I've watched a lot of friends now kill themselves. And it reminds me of a suicide bombing. Um, when someone takes their life, it is like setting off a bomb and the debris and the, the fragmentation that goes out and hits so many people. And when we... I think when people commit suicide, it's to numb our own pain, but we don't fully think through the pain it's going to cause everybody else around us. We convince right. ourselves that this is the best way. But I've met so many people who thought about that moment and um, and didn't do it and, and later found this new purpose and this new life. So I guess what I would say is, you know, it's it's always darkest when we think we have nothing left. And and that's where people reach that point of suicide. Yeah. But but I, I there's a new circle out there, a new circle of friends, a new circle of influence. Uh, there's a new path, a new purpose. 
And, and you need to find people that can help you do that. Because when we're usually at a point of suicide, you want to isolate and push everybody away. And it's hard. You need to be doing the exact opposite. We need to be getting some positive people around us, counseling and support um, that will help us get out of that darkness, get out of that storm and figure out what that new path forward is. Amen, man. I, I totally agree. You, you know, go to church. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's always Churches. good people there. Yep. You know? Yep. Absolutely. Or go to temple or whatever you do, whatever faith you practice, go be with people that that's so and and share. Be yep. be authentic and real, man. Don't don't be afraid to talk about your issues. I um yeah. I do every Monday morning. I release a video called um, Monday Muster. And uh, I've been doing it for almost a year and a quarter now. And it's wow. just a positive message. And, and a really powerful one I did a few weeks ago was called Don't Suffer in Silence. Um, I had not, if you watched all my social media, it was nothing but positivity and everything we were doing, but I was feeling terrible. I've been enduring these health issues for about six months and these panic attacks and the anxiety and these physical symptoms that I've been dealing with. And I my friends knew, but I wasn't putting any of this out on social media. And it was, it was really um, uh, creating a big mental, it was weighing me down. Yeah. And I finally did this Monday muster about suffering in silence and how damaging it can be. And the reality is how cathartic it is we, we think that we're doing people a favor by not telling them our problems. But the reality is, uh, I think Je Jennifer said something. Uh, it's our brokenness that connects us. That's why it's important to share your journey with others. Yes, absolutely. And it's a powerful thing, um, especially the more, I think the more successful you are to be able to say, Hey man, I struggled. I had a problem. I had a leadership failure and I came back from it or, Hey, I had this health crisis and I really was struggling to deal with it. Other yeah. people are like, Oh my God, you know, that guy, this Navy seal, he had an issue. Well, I'm okay having an issue and it helps them drive forward. Um, yeah. but you got to be around people to do it and you got to have the courage and conviction. Actually, I just released a blog on our website uh, and it's called five tips to not suffer in silence. And this is at jasonredman.com, right? That's right. <clears throat> are all of your, are there links to all of your books? Yeah. So, uh, so point man planner isn't out yet. It'll be out within the month. So we're going to sell it on Amazon and we're going to sell it on my website. But, uh, my other books are on the website, the Trident and overcome. Those are signed copies. You can buy them elsewhere, but they're not signed. Dude, I'm getting both. I want, I want signed copies. I'm getting both of them today. Yes, dude. I, I, I'm listen, man. First off, I want to say thank you to Jason Breen. He's, he's who connected us on clubhouse. We were yeah, on clubhouse. Good dude. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to thank you again for your service. I want to thank you for the positivity that you're putting out into the world, the lives that you're changing. Because you are, man. There's people watching this right now that needed 100% to hear what you had to say today. I'm so grateful for you, man. I really am. Ken, thank you. No, and thank you. Thank the big man above for giving me a second chance. And yeah, you guys stay off that yeah. X. The X is a terrible place to be. So many of us get on it. And uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a choice. It's a choice to get up and drive forward. I was just getting ready to say, it's literally, if you're on that, 
just make the decision to go get take one step and you're no longer on it one step yep dude that's freaking awesome man thank you so much don't hang up on me i am going to end the the live stream and um i'd like to chat with you real quick about the amazon thing so um everybody have a phenomenal day go to jasonredman.com order his books get ready for the new journal coming out what's it called Pull, hold that up one more time real quick it's called the it's called the point man planner point man planner get ready that's coming out very very soon and watch i'm gonna have him on amazon probably more than once so um we're just just follow along make sure you where's the best social media to follow you uh i'm on all of them okay. um, i'm normally most engaged on instagram i will admit that since i've been dealing with the health things i have not been as engaged as i normally am but uh i'm on uh facebook linkedin twitter instagram and uh oh and youtube i post my videos and uh and monday muster and stuff to youtube Got to get you on TikTok, dude. You know, I started it and then I've got two funny videos on TikTok. That's all I did. I did some uh, funny stuff on there. But yeah, but your leadership videos could blow up on there. But anyway, I, I won't keep you any longer. But listen, hang tight for me. Thank you to everybody. If you haven't shared this out, share it. You'll be blessed in other ways by sharing. So thank you so much, yeah. Jason. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, thank you, everyone. All right, bye-bye.